Finds, the podcast where we talk about your favorite books, our favorite books, and everything in between. Hey, it's me, Maggie, and I am continuing our author interviews in our third season. I am so stoked to be having this next author interview. Um, this one sort of came to from work. Um, this author came in to do a signing and my colleagues were like, oh my God, did you get to chat with her? She was so cool. And they knew that I had been absolutely buzzing to read the book. And I was like, no, I didn't. And um, and then I just slid, so sorry, <laughs> letting you all know this. I slid right into her DMs and I was like, hi, please be on my podcast. <laughs> immediately said yes (laughs) and she agreed so please let me be just the first on this podcast to give a warm welcome to hannah kaner the author of god killer hannah we are so excited to have you here how are you doing i'm doing excellent thank you so much for having us Uh, i'm really (laughs) excited to be here virtually Um, and thank you for sliding into my dms you know it's always a treat Hey, uh, anytime, if anything, it has taught me that it's okay to slide into authors' DMs and ask them onto my podcast. So thank you for encouraging me. Now you've always always got to ask. (laughs) Exactly. You never know what people are going to (laughs) say. Very true. Hannah, I am super excited to chat with you about your debut fantasy novel, God Killer. But before we do, just a little warm-up question. What would you say is your go-to snack and drink combination that you enjoy while you're writing? Kind of depends on the time of the day or night that I happen to be writing. So, you know, if it's in the daytime or the morning, it'll, it'll be a cup of tea or a very strong black coffee. I don't really, yeah, I don't really snack. I'm really kind of, I'll just hoover up anything that's left in the uh, in the fridge. Or if there's nothing left in the fridge, it'll be sort of a cup of tea and some toast. So, you know, just a classic go-to. And then it's in the nice. evening... I'm trying to get myself through the through the dark hours uh, then maybe I'll have just a wee wee glass of whiskey wee dram oh <laughs> uh, I don't know it feels like a proper like kind of a sort of spiritual drink you know you're kind of like supping on whiskey and you can feel the sort of the mountains and the the light of the glass and like how many people have like drunk whiskey before and been called mad and it's you know it seems like a perfect writer's drink Oh, absolutely. I mean, you literally said spiritual. First of all, great pun um, because it's spirit. But (laughs) sorry, I explained that. Um, (laughs) And I feel like especially in a lot of sort of fantasy novels, the drinks that the characters are always are enjoying is either whiskey or a pint. So I just feel like it's very fitting. It is very fitting. It is, it is such a kind of class, uh, yeah, a classic fantasy drink is like ale because ale such got such like a strong tradition, and particularly in like Western fantasy, um, of being something you would drink when you can really have water because the water was you know rank and poisonous, um, and then whiskey as well sort of captured the imaginations of of people um, in fantasy, particularly because a lot of it, a lot of the fantasy that's been published um, over kind of the last 50 years has been predominantly Western and predominantly based in like kind of Western um, areas. But that is that is changing quite significantly. So, you know, I, I feel like kind of whiskey and ale is a delightful fantasy drink, but there is there's more coming out of the um, other writers who are writing from different areas. So that's yeah. I mean, I'm very happy to, to represent my sort of <laughs> Irish roots with my ale and my whiskey, but I know there's many other drinks out there for me to to enjoy. <laughs> that is very true. Well, in lieu of that, would you mind giving us just a brief synopsis of 
your book and then a little bit about yourself as an author. Uh, so God Killer is a book. Um, well, it's what it says on the tin. It's a book about a woman who kills gods for a living uh, until she finds a god that she cannot kill, who's attached to a little noble girl on the run. Uh, so they go on a quest to detach the um, the little god from the little girl uh, so the god killer can kill the god and, and save the save the girl. But on the way, they run into a knight who's on a quest of his own, a knight errant, um, and their paths intertwine and the fate of the kingdom that they're both, they're all on this quest within begins very clearly to hang in the balance um, off the back of, of the decisions that they're making. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the kind of the overall story. I mean, it is a, it's a quest tale. Um, so kind of in the tradition of, of Galway and the Green Knight and the Hobbit and kind of stories of, you know, uh, the hero's journey, that's it. And so it was quite, it's quite a short book. It's quite a delight to to read and hopefully quite fun to read. Uh, sorry, delight to write and hopefully a fun to read. About myself, uh, so I am a Northumbrian writer, so I'm from the northeast of England. And I live in Scotland or have for at least seven years. So I live in Edinburgh now. And I don't, don't know <laughs> what else to say. I have a full-time job. I write on the side. I've been writing since I was... A, a, precocious child and have remained writing until I'm a precocious adult um and this is technically the seventh book I've ever written oh my and gosh it's the first one that ever saw ink that ever kind of went to publishers and and well the first one that went to publishers and they said yes to <laughs> therefore got published so yeah it's been a long journey for myself a long quest for myself as well well, a huge congratulations. What a debut. I know it's the seventh, but official published <laughs> debut. Oh my gosh. I could not stop. The second I started reading this, I just kept thinking about it. It's sort of, you know, you read a book and it sort of becomes your personality for a little bit, or it's like all you can think about. I was, oh my gosh, I just fell in love with the world and the characters. And I have to know sort of, um, because so much of the story has to do with you know, the culture of the people and their religion and and the gods and who's against them and who's for them. Did that come from any mythology or any uh, history that you had been researching? Or is this sort of from yourself? I mean, everything comes from somewhere, right? So mm-hmm. um, I didn't pick any particular mythology to use, though I have, I suppose, cherry pick some aspects of of Celtic mythology and Norse and Greek and some of the cult of the saints um, and sort of uh, different kinds of uh, ways of looking at and interpreting sort of uh, shrines and and shrines to gods as well. So there are aspects of mythology that I kind of drew in and maybe some Easter eggs that kind of nod to sort of mythological features who have got the god of the hunt sort of makes a very passing uh, comment and that's kind of based on, on him, the hunter, um the main uh, young the main god that's attached to the gill is called Skedeketh and is a god of white lies and uh though the god of white lies isn't taken from any particular form uh the the body of him is which is a vulpetinger um which is a hare with a um deer's antlers and uh, bird's wings uh which is from german like bavarian uh, mythology as well and sort of is is a little bit like the haggis in the way it's kind of used to Sort of, it's a fable used to uh, confuse and baffle newcomers into to going hunting for it. 
So I kind of love the idea of like a, a white, white, white lie mixed up with a fable. In terms of history, I did a lot of research into aspects of um, the Mediterranean and, and trade culture. And that was partly because I knew I wanted to write a world where there would be many gods and many gods coming from a lot of different places. So for me, this place, this Midrin, um, which is one of the reasons why it's called Midrin, is kind of like, uh, is a fulcrum, is a, is a trading country on um, on the trade sea. Um, and because of that position in its sort of trade networks, it's one of the reasons why so many gods have grown there and become there, because it's uh, in the harbour towns, you've got people coming from all over the world, bringing their stories and their myths and their cultures and, and sharing those um, and their food and sharing those too. Um, so I was looking into kind of centres of of knowledge and of culture, such as Alexandria and Baghdad and um, and Beirut and Cordoba um, and Palermo. So it was kind of looking at different aspects of our own world and mm-hmm. sort of turning it in on itself through a different mirror, like through um, a different kind of viewpoint or lens. Um so yeah, it's not based on our world specifically, but I took a lot of wonderful things about our world and I suppose encouraged them to blossom in this story. Mm. And, you know, terrible things too. That's what makes yeah. story. <laughs> of course, of course, and a very important quest. I, I think that that's absolutely amazing. I think it, it is, um, I, I hope it's okay that I say this. I think it's so interesting when you read certain fantasies you can sort of tell what area they would live in in the real world you know you read lord of the rings and you're like oh that's you know the uk or they filmed it in new zealand (laughs) you know it's very it's it feels very obvious or or you read um I don't know. I'm running a blank on all other fantasy books right now. Always but, happens, right? When, he, when as soon as yeah. you're talking about it, he's like, it just goes straight out your head. <laughs> straight out my head. And I thought it was so interesting when I was reading Godkiller. At first, when I read Midrin, I was like, oh, maybe that's based in like the Midlands in, you know, Scotland or, or something like that. And I, the more I read it, the more I just couldn't really place like an exact spot in the world that it would be. It sort of felt all-encompassing. I just think it's very interesting that, you know, the inspiration and the influences, I think, just really exist because I think it's um, it just, it's one of those fantasy books that you read and it feels very accessible and very, like, for everyone, for every type of person and every, and every type of culture. I, I just thought that that was very interesting. I suppose there's a lot that, I mean, there's a lot about sort of what's been published fantasy over the last 50 years that I really, really love. There's a lot that kind of frustrates me and around sort of like representation and, and sometimes mm-hmm. it presents quite a a sanitized or one-sided view of what the world looked like in our sort of mythicized medieval past and it's quite a a narrow view it's quite a white view it's quite an ableist view mm-hmm. and uh, often sexist as well and that's not necessarily our interpretation of the world as it was through these stories or kind of like t- transplant of what we kind of call uh, realism, um, which I've got quote marks going around there mm-hmm. because I realise this is uh, being listened to, um, that we aim for called realism that aren't actually necessarily realistic and not necessarily representative of what the world actually was like and that it is and remains and was um, 
very different from the, our frames of reference and, and the way that we see it now, um, particularly around sort of the centres of trade and of power, for which the UK was quite a, a yeah. sort of off centre for, for much of world history. Um, but this is around sort of the Mediterranean and the Trade Sea and Northern Africa um, and sort of, and Baghdad was at one point just like the fulcrum of, of knowledge and, and mm-hmm. um, the preservation of knowledge. So I do think kind of sometimes we have this vision in our heads of, of fantasy and what kind of fantasy should look like. And because we've, it's been kind of like hammered into us so often over yeah. like kind of the way that um, it is interpreted in, in television and and in um, in novel form. And I, I really think that landscape is is changing hugely. Um, and that's coming from authors, not myself, like Tasha Suri and, and Sarah El Arifi and Rebecca Kwong, um, who are sort of challenging that sort of Western-centric view of fantasy. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, it's it's very much positioned in um, in a sort of has elements of Scotland and it has elements of kind of like Northern Italy and um, and uh, Croatia and Romania um, and places that I've been, but also kind of yeah tries to see it as a place where anyone could be, anyone could live, um, and why they could live there is because it is that fulcrum of trade and because people have brought all their gods there and gods have kind of had. So helped people thrive. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, I could talk about this for absolutely. No, yeah. <laughs> um, I just, yeah, I just feel so much love for kind of like uh, for writers in fantasy at the moment who've been kicking down doors and and breaking barriers. And I hope that I can just sort of tread with them. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I I I don't remember who it was who said this, but I saw someone was sort of ranting about a lot of fantasy online, and they said. You know, with fantasy, you can do whatever you want. So why do so many people insist on writing stories where the women have no power? And like, all, like all of these, like, yeah, yeah. they're all like completely whitewashed and, and everything is, you know, how so much of the world is today when you can do so much. I think it's so, it's like an absolute delight. I think that so much incredible fantasy is like really it's having a little moment I think right now which is incredible it's such a powerful thing to imagine a world where things are different yeah and where women are equal where if you're queer you are loved and accepted where if you're disabled you exist which often you don't in in fantasy worlds or kind of there are so many um or if you're a person of color you're completely accepted and not kind of isolated mm-hmm. I think it is it's such a powerful thing to acknowledge and, and hope for that and incorporate that into some fantasy and those stories of um isolation and come and coming out and experience in fantasy are also really valid and valuable but you know we can we can write different stories from different ways and this is not the story of coming out it's not the story of of someone being alone it's someone finding or several people finding each other yeah and finding community oh absolutely absolutely this sort of um leads me to my next question which is this cast of characters i think is so interesting i think so often in books you sort of understand in the world what is 
the good point of view to have, even if you have different characters who have different points of view and different beliefs. But I, I, at least I felt when I was reading God Killer, you have these four very distinct characters who all sort of think and believe different things when it comes to the gods. And every time I jumped into their heads, I agreed with what they were saying. I like to the point of where I didn't even know it just became so muddled. Like what was right? What was wrong? How can we decipher what is right and wrong when there are so many different goods and bads to all sides of this story? How did you come up with this cast of characters and what, you know, what was the inspiration for them? What did you come up with one first? Did you always know (laughs) what are you going to do? I have so many questions. I mean, you can probably imagine given the title of the novel that Mm -hmm. uh, our God killer kissing came first. I wanted to write a, a, a queer, angry, badass, um, brilliant, tough, and sometimes unpalatable woman. And I just kind of, I love this idea. I, I love gods in, in fantasy and, and in mythology, how capricious they are and how uh, frustrating they are. And I didn't ask you if I could swear on this. So I'm just going to Oh, see. yeah, you're fine. Oh, great. <laughs> Absolutely. Dicks they are. I mean, Zeus, <laughs> come on. Um, someone, you know, you really want someone to give them a bit of a slap around. And then sort of from that, you know, reading of, uh, capricious gods in mythology you kind of think someone needs to be around to put them in their place um so that's where the idea of the god killer came and also this idea of of kissing herself um i've kind of it's like she sort of stamped into my head and refused mm-hmm. to leave until i i told her story so she was first but when i started considering the world from her perspective and i did consider writing the whole book from her perspective it didn't feel right to yeah only have that one perspective someone who absolutely fundamentally hates gods and and what they represent and that didn't sit right with me I mean I'm not religious myself but I come from a family as as different religions I've come from friends who find faith to be incredibly important for them and their community and that that is also a perspective a perspective that is that is beautiful and, and that is really valuable so I wanted Kissin to be challenged um and I wanted her to have foils and that challenge kind of came in the form of uh Inara who's also a little bit like her younger self is alone in the world um that has is out to get her but Inara with her uh so is is a god of white lies that can't be detached from her who kiss and has to end up acknowledging that god's personhood um and that is it is a being and then we have Elo who um has had such a huge uh has fought in a war against the gods has mm-hmm. seen all the worst things they can possibly achieve but still believes that faith is 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 important and freedom of faith is important and the sort of staked his whole kind of um all his pride upon that and i think in in i think kism was the first one to write but Elo has become probably one of my favorites to write because he's so kism's very outward she's very um uh, dynamic she's very angry it's so deliciously fun to write yeah uh cross woman but you know is much more inward he's he's quite gentle um in many ways so he is very dry and, and witty um and so he, it becomes more difficult to explore that character and to explore what makes him tick and what makes him funny mm-hmm. what makes him vulnerable so yeah i think i i came to love writing 
you know, yeah. very much. And Kissam's always obviously remained strong. And then <laughs> I love the dynamic between Anara and Skelly. I can't really choose between my children. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I get it. It's too hard. Even if I, like as a reader, they are now my babies. I don't think I could pick a favorite. I really loved being in, in every single one's points of view because it is, I think, um, as a reader, you always find that there's one that you just prefer being in. Mm. And I did not feel that. I was so interested to know what everyone was thinking. Um, yeah. Because they're all it. like one journey together. Like what was yeah. really kind of changing as they went along was what they were exactly what they were thinking, what they were feeling, um, what how they were interpreting the things that were happening to all of them. Um, yeah. Which is quite difficult to do with four points of view in, in 300 pages. But <laughs> because they had such like fun voices to, to play with, it became kind of a really wonderful challenge. Absolutely. They're all so, they are such dynamic voices. And I think that that just helps the story clip along in this really fast paced way where, you know, um, just, I think the quest of it is so, it just moves so nicely. And I think that all of their arcs really, they are just perfect without being finished. Like you are excited to, to see if there's more from them. Um, I know that you're writing more. Don't tell me. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that's really lovely. So that I do wonder if Kissin was sort of the first, you know, character that you had been thinking about uh, was one of your original intents uh, before you continued creating the world and the other characters was the intent to sort of make, you know, the gods, the villains of the story and then what would you say sort of became more of the major conflict that we see the characters go through? That's such a good question because both gods and people are the villains of the story mm -hmm. and also the heroes of the story as well. There is, you know, some are more villainous than others. And, you know, it, it's just like, how much do I reveal? Um, <laughs> you know, and I know. Yeah. But, um, oh, yeah, I think kind of, I never wanted to write gods as completely bad because they're yeah. so much fun. And uh, even with sort of villainous characters like Loki, you know, as a, mm -hmm. sort of a classic and like Marvel and in sort of mythology, uh, people who are both have the potential for great villainy and also the potential for uh, humor and good and delight are like the best characters. And that's yeah. um, why I never really wanted uh, to be, you know, have just like one fixed big bad. And also because gods are created by people, they're created by the people that believe in them and support them and sacrifice for them, that it becomes symbiotic. Like the gods mm -hmm. become what people believe of them and believe them capable of. So yeah, which came, comes first, the <laughs> god chicken or the people egg? Um, <laughs> maybe it's the other way around. Aye, so I think in this first book, the villains are revealed as the book goes along, but and then it's really kind of the timing of how these characters like negotiate their way through the story. And then also in the second book, the villains from the first book kind of get potentially, yeah. you know, changed or I hear you. <laughs> reinterpreted, like uh, shown through a different light. And that's kind of such fun as well. Um, I don't think there will be any very clear cut good and bad um in the god Gunner trilogy um yeah. i don't think that suits the world yeah absolutely i it's so 
I just think it's accurate, right? To sort of the human existence, be it realistic, quote unquote, or fantastical, things are not cut evenly in black and white. There's never like true good and true bad. And I just think it's, but there is love. But there is chaos. <laughs> we must never forget. <laughs> there can always be a mess. <laughs> always a mess to clean up. <laughs> yeah, I think it, it could have been really easy for me to write kind of, well, not easy, but it would have been potentially really difficult in other ways as well to write something that was very, very sort of anti-religion. Uh, and there are many reasons why that would be the case. And that would be... Um, a really interesting book to write but in this particular world faith is both a destroyer and a creator mm-hmm. and I feel that is the same in our world as well yeah you know there's good and bad to absolutely everything and and I think I see for myself so much family and and friends who who are very religious and find so much peace and community in that but then also I have friends and family who do not feel that way. And I That's think that both sides are completely valid. It just depends on your life and mm. your journey, you know? Um, and not using it as a stick with which to beat other people, preferably. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, which <laughs> truly is something that I think almost all of the characters in this book sort of learn from. Um, it's, yeah, I'm just, I, uh, I feel, how do I feel? I loved it. I just think it it's such a it's such a good take. I just think it's something that we so rarely see is agreeing with absolutely every side of the story and wanting everyone <laughs> to succeed. Um, so but part of their strengths as well. Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. Um, so Hannah, before I just talk your ear off, <laughs> please excuse me. Would you like to share with us a favorite section or line from your book? I haven't brought a section or a line because I don't like don't want to leave leave them hanging I I think my favorite section are the kind of islands in the storm um or sections uh something I really love about fantasy is when while everything is going to complete shit you said I could swear (laughs) there are moments of of peace and, and joy and community and so that kind of, there is a first section where Kissin brings Inara to her family because that is Kissin's safe space. And I just, I loved writing that. I love writing that dynamic. Um, I really love my family. I've got a very big one. Um, and kind of writing that in was, those those sections are my favourite, are finding those kind of moments when the quest is ongoing or the quest is kind mm-hmm. of starting, but there's that peace or that kind of quiet by the fire where people are breaking bread or uh singing an inn drinking ale those are sometimes my most uh, delightful bits of fantasy other pe- places where people stop yeah sort of just take a nice breath of fresh air and, and I also think that that's the first moment of the story where we get to see Kissin in such a different light mm. where you know her armor comes off a little bit and and she really you see her in such a as much as she can be, I suppose, relaxed state. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, absolutely lovely. Um, so Godkiller is the first in this trilogy. Is that correct? Before I continue? Yeah. The first okay. I thought so. Um, what I thought was so interesting is this world is so incredible. You have so much world building. 
and um, just just so much beautiful things happening in this story. But with the story being condensed to sort of four characters that stay on the same quest together, you know, so much of the book just felt really accessible, especially I thought for people who might be new to high fantasy. Mm. Um, So I was sort of wondering as you continue on in writing this trilogy, is it going to be sort of the same format? Are you going to have the four characters together on a new journey or a new quest together? Or are they going to sort of split off? Will we see new areas of of this world? Or um, are we going to meet new characters entirely? Well, it's, I suppose, a, a mild spoiler. But by the end of the first book, they are separated mm-hmm. um, in in whatever way that separation occurs. In the second book, they stay separated. Um, so the first book, I suppose, is kind of like, um, you know, it's, I guess, thinking about Star Wars, the first book's like A New Hope and the second mm-hmm. book has to be Empire Strikes Back. So things, you know, go to uh, go to shit in quite a spectacular fashion. And yes, you kind of see different parts of the world. There are actually kind of sort of three um areas in which the action is happening and they're not like ah try not to reveal too much yeah <laughs> um, there are three areas where the action is happening and new characters are introduced as well so things that were kind of uh hinted at in the earlier book um or the first book sort of come to the fore um, yeah. and start to be to be threaded um through and um, so much of the second book takes place in the city with some characters um but then there is also still a kind of a brilliant quest going on as well, where you get to explore a different part of the world uh, that you've not had a glimpse into yet. Gorgeous. Uh, I I can't wait. I don't want you to spoil anything, especially on the podcast, but are you finding yourself um, leaning into writing sort of the new, the new world and the new characters, or do you find more comfort writing in what you've already created? Oh, no, I love exploring. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah, it's brilliant to imagine different places. I mean, so the second book remains majorly on the same continent, but the third book I'm planning to move away from that continent. Oh my God, this is like a true Star Wars trilogy. I know. <laughs> but that's kind of, you know, it's, yeah, it's wonderful to kind of um, explore new places. And that's kind of one of the most amazing things about about fantasy and writing is mm-hmm. to both create and imagine and sort of use inspiration um to build out a, a world from that story mm-hmm. outwards because so yeah. much in that this place that I've imagined but I can't you know d- drag into the text just for the sake of it of like look at this cool thing that I would like to write <laughs> um you know much to my editor's uh, dismay when I try and drag that shit in um but it's, you know, there's there's a lot more to this world. And I would love to explore it even more in further books. But then again, there are going to be more worlds to create yeah. and more worlds to explore as well. There's too much. There's, it's too, I love it. I love it so much. Um, so, Hannah, I was just reading your, your little bio. I was trying to say that in a way that didn't make me sound like I was creeping on you on the internet. Um but I was reading a little bit about just your previous work and you've done, it seems like a lot that has to do with creating story. Um, how do you feel like that has channeled into your journey as an author? Have you always 
been a little bit more of a writer or just enjoyed creating stories throughout your life? Oh, that's such a good question. I spent so long dreaming of being a writer that I can't really imagine what it would be like to not have that part of myself. And I think that's kind of something that has driven me for a long time is is that at my core, I suppose I, I am a storyteller and I am someone who who loves to write. Um, but there are some aspects of of writing and creating stories that play into a lot of different businesses. So um, I work in STEM, like I work in uh, software development, and that seems like quite a, a different uh, field from, from mm-hmm. the surface. But that drive to make sense of things, to kind of um, take a lot of information and thread it into a recognizable pattern and then explain that pattern to other people and then expect other people to engage with it. So if you're designing a, a software or a system, like the way that you, the content is in it, the way that the background functionality works, the data that you acquire through it um, needs to be understood. Yeah. Particularly when, because I work in the public sector, it needs to be understood by everyone. It's not for a targeted audience. It's for kind of um, quite vulnerable people sometimes. And so that desire to, you know, some people might kind of frown at it being called storytelling, but I think there is a strong aspect of it in that and that real um, strong drive to communicate and communicate. Yeah. Um, so, so I think that the careers, you know, the tech career is quite different from writing. I think there are aspects of who I am and, and the things that I've um, worked on over my life have sort of do come to play in that as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, having to to share information in a digestible way, be it fiction or nonfiction, is definitely storytelling, right, on some level, because people do have to to hear and understand. And at some on at some degree, you know, hopefully more when it's fiction, but enjoy <laughs> what they're reading. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I mean, it's about, like, you know, in, in developing particularly public sector technology, the the what you need to design is something that almost disappears is kind of something that people completely get straight away and they don't need to think about it anymore. Yeah. Whereas in storytelling, it's quite different. You really want to burrow into someone's emotions and their psyche and, and, and um, sort of communicate with them that way. But yes, there, there are those kind of, <laughs> that linking yeah. together of, of, of understanding because, you know, humans are creative beings. Like we, are pattern makers and weavers and um, liars and at our absolute core, to core, like storytellers. So it does come up in a lot of aspects of what we yeah. do, even if it isn't specifically storytelling. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So um, then I'm assuming probably not specifically your work, but do you find that you gain inspiration from anything um, as you sit down to write, be it authors, art, landscapes. Um, what really, what really inspires you? Um, well, I mean, other writers, absolutely, um, fucking inspirational, and just move me with every <laughs> bloody thing they produce. Um, for me, traveling and, and hiking as well. I really, I mean, you can probably tell in uh, God Killer, but I love. Um, walking, love walking through mountains. I love the kind of the, what the weather does and what the sky does, and how trees look in spring, and you know how the landscape changes in winter. Um, 
I walk a lot in Scotland. It's one of the reasons I love being here. And I've also been to a lot of different places in the world on my own or with people and eaten all the different foods and and experienced the different kind of landscapes. And I think, yeah, something about exploring always brings me back to myself and kind of opens up my mind. Mm, yeah. Amazing. Amazing. I think that that's um, so important. Traveling um, as much as you can do, especially as a creative, just because I think the more that you get to see and experience, just the better your writing must must naturally become because you just know and understand so much more. Um, it's such a, yeah. I mean, obviously it's a massive privilege to be able yeah, to of course. Like, tickets across the world to, to go on a, um, a travel, but even though it's just like kind of in your, the place that you live of yeah. moving outside your comfort zone and um, talking to people and, um, you know, or reading or kind of being interested in the world around you um, is, yeah, I think it is inspirational. I think it is lovely. Everyone finds their inspiration from different things, yeah. but that, that for me works really well. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's, um, it's all about remaining curious, right? You could, Oh, you can yeah. travel in your own city. You know, there are so many parts of, of of Edinburgh that I've I've not even seen. You know, if I it would take me weeks, I think, to explore just every every sector of of the space that I currently live in. So, yeah, um, absolutely, and yeah, it completely you it transforms. Even over the seven years I've been here, it transforms. <laughs> it changes as you kind of as you as we live here, <laughs> um, which is kind of pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so with that, I guess, in lieu of traveling, is there a fantastical world that you wish you could live in or travel to? Oh, <laughs> bloody hell. Um, this is going to take me a long time to answer. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> you, you were very kind to send uh, this question <laughs> and I was like, too many. And then my brain shut down and then I was like, well. Shit. <laughs> um, I would love to visit. Um, have you read the Life Ship Traders by Robin Hobb? No. Um, so I'd like to visit that world at a specific point in time, which is um, as sort of dragons come back into being. Um, and the way that Robin Hobb describes food and places and relationships and the history of those places and the beauty of it and the terror of it as well and the live ship traders is set on um set in kind of a trading community um or land that's a kind of that has ships that speak and I don't want to kind of reveal too much about oh. that or why or how they do but so we've got pirates and you've got traders and you've got merchants and you've got uh yeah and dragons um this book has it all <laughs> it has it all it's wonderful and it's um so what's great about robin hobb's work is that um her trilogies can be sort of read in isolation so you can read the lives of traders on its own and really enjoy it um and then but you can also read the other trilogies and see where it kind of links up as well oh okay very cool i haven't read anything um by them so i'm gonna have to to write that down check it out <laughs> I mean, pirates and talking ships and dragons. It's a lot up my street, so. <laughs> it's top choice. I'm just going to yeah. say anything with pirates in is great. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So, Hannah, um, I'm sorry to ask this in advance, 
people either love it or hate it. But what would you say is your all time favorite? Nope. Book? nope. <laughs> okay. No, I refuse. I refuse. Nope. <laughs> uh, oh, no. I could name you like six favorite books in six <laughs> seconds. Um, and it always depends on what I'm reading at that moment as well. Because I know what yeah. that kind of, you know, what you're reading makes you think of all the other things that you're reading, which makes you think kind of, um, yeah, back in, back home again. There are some books that I would recommend. So to fantasy readers who are starting out for the first time. Perfect. Um, Assassin's Apprentice by Robin Hobb would be one of them because I think it is, is beautiful fantasy. Um, if I, so if you're looking for something more epic than The Final Strife by Sarah Ella Reefy is just a brilliant brilliant fantasy book and the second one's coming out this year and I'm so excited um I think I'm just into kind of like stalling stumbling over myself because I'm like there are so many books um so I, I suppose those would be two of them at the moment I That's think perfect. they're brilliant books I think they're delightful to read oh and then there's the Jasmine Throne by Tasha Siri who I mentioned <laughs> earlier and then there's the oh there's just such a, a wealth of fantasy out there um that is can you know everything's got to suit exactly what you want at that moment right there's no kind of perfect book for everyone everyone's got their own tastes like I'm sure there's hundreds of people who are like god killer gross um so that's kind of one of the great things about how many books are being published and how much kind of like um excitement is out there for for writing yeah um yeah yeah. well those are amazing thank you I'm so sorry I stressed you out (laughs) so stressful I think I was like asked this for an interview like a while back it's like if all the books in the world were on fire which book would you like there's just one copy of every book in the world and which like copy like which book would you save and I'm like that's like a stressful way to word it too Um, oh god it was horrible (laughs) I can't even remember what I chose like it was was grueling um Oh God! And it's yeah, and I just know there are so many books out there that I haven't read that should be should be top of the list. So anything by Terry Pratchett as well. Oh yes, you know what? Um, I haven't read anything by him. <laughs> I don't know why I was leading up to that. I I have always wanted to, but he has so much, and I can't decide where to start. And I just look at the shelves of his books, and I'm like, one day. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, my gateway to Terry Pratchett was the Monstrous Regiment, which okay. is actually not set in any of the same uh, lands that he kind of writes in, not in Ankh-Morpork or um, other places that he generally centralises his text on. But it's about um, a woman who dresses up as a boy to join the army and chaos ensues, <laughs> which is always my favorite kind of writing um, <laughs> and it, it's a kind of a quite a gentle introduction to to Terry Pratchett and a couple of other characters playing um or Mort is is probably my favorite as well um I could yeah again I could talk about this forever um well perfect I'm gonna write those down um as my introductions into Terry Pratchett because <laughs> it is overwhelming he has written so many books He's such a prolific writer and it's just like it's just beautifully tongue in cheek. I love, I love fantasy that plays with and is kind of self conscious of of what it is um, as a, as a book and like as as a part of this amazing genre, um, and sort of this kind of essential core genre as well of, of writing. Um, so yeah, I really love fantasy that 
uh, really toys with what it is to be a, fa- a book of fantasy and, and what that means. And yeah. Pratchett is brilliant at that. Yeah. I am excited to start my journey <laughs> uh, with his books. Um, now, Hannah, uh, final questions. They're super easy. Um, don't feel pressured because I do work at an independent bookstore. Um, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Please be honest. But uh, Hannah, where can people find you if they are interested in following your journey as an author, wanting to see more about you? And also, do you have a favorite independent bookshop where people can purchase God Killer so I can link it in the episode description? um i'm gonna i'm gonna have to say my favorite independent bookshop at the moment is the one that's closest to me which is called argonaut books um and it's at the bottom of the leaf walk and it's just got a great collection of books and i can pop in there and and sign books as well uh, quite easily but there are so many in edinburgh that i would rattle off but they do do they do do orders um and staff are all brilliant and it's you know it's a really really great space to be great for a cup of tea as well um and i've already forgotten what the oh uh, where people can find me i was like, i've already forgotten the other question um, <laughs> sorry about that <laughs> so i am on uh instagram as at han frankan and conveniently on twitter as at hf twitter became my more formal one um and on my website which is hannahkana.com where i'm trying to keep it updated with news of events and articles and um things like that so my next event is in uh is in york which is next tuesday nice. at festival and i will also be making appearances at chimera festival and comic-con as well as maybe a couple of others during this year nice so, or oh, in oxford i'm going to oxford as well big year that's very exciting a lot um, going on yeah Yeah. Well, if you guys are interested in following Hannah, I will link her social media and her website to the episode description. Additionally, um, you guys know that I recommend Argonaut. It's right across the street from my house. Super convenient. Um, I will link them as well so you can purchase a copy of Hannah's book if you are interested. Um, And with that, Hannah, we thank you so much for joining us. This was just a delight. Thank Looking you so, forward so much. to our book book date in Argonaut. That's what we're going to have to have. Done. I am so <laughs> excited. I'm so excited. And um, maybe we'll see you next time for the sequel to God Killer. I would be thrilled. Thank you so much for having us. <laughs> well, we heckin' did it, you guys. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you heard, share us with your other bookish friends and family. And if you're listening with Spotify or Apple Podcasts, be sure to rate and review the show. I am off to do my newest video for our Patreon. I am now doing a series where I will be talking about all the books that I am currently reading every single month as I no longer have an Instagram to post about them. (laughs) Um, And if you are interested in joining our Novel Finds community on the Patreon, please follow the link in our bio. And be sure to follow us on Instagram at Novel Finds Podcast. Thank you so much for being a novel friend. We will see you all next week.